Hello, and welcome to Inside Medicine. I'm Dr. Jordan Schlain, founder of Private Medical, practicing physician, and really just a science nerd at heart who enjoys devouring the latest medical research. Today's guest is Dr. David Skaggs, the co-director of the Spine Center and the director of pediatric orthopedics at Cedars-Sinai. He served as the chief of pediatric orthopedics and chief of spine surgery at Children's Hospital of Los Angeles, USC, for 24 years and is renowned for his expertise in the treatment of children with spinal deformity and trauma. Hosting today's conversation is our Los Angeles-based pediatrician, Dr. Sarah Green. Dr. Green and Dr. Skaggs discuss back pain in kids, overuse injuries when returning to sports, and choosing the right backpack. Now, over to my colleague and partner, Dr. Sarah Green. Hi, Dr. Skaggs. It's so great to see you and chat today. Thank you for joining us. So timely topics that we're hearing a lot about, especially in pediatrics, are from kids who've had a really tough year in a lot of ways. But from an orthopedic standpoint, their lives were very different over the last 18 months. And they are now reemerging. Some of our older teens are vaccinated and really getting back to some semblance of normal. And just wanted to talk to you about what you've seen, what are some of the things that kids have experienced over the last year, being sedentary, being in front of screens, and how we can help them sort of emerge, maybe even healthier, stronger than before. Yes. So I've seen a drastically uh, different patient population walking into my office kind of during and post-COVID. And as you point out, all of a sudden, we take these young, healthy, active kids uh, and in some ways trap them at home and tell them they're supposed to sit in front of a computer screen all day. And I've actually never seen more kids come to the office with back pain and poor posture. I mean, it's really almost an epidemic. As we look back and think that once kids were told sit in a chair all day and be on Zoom. And if you don't, you get in trouble. You know, of, of, of course, there's a lot of bad downstream effects, maybe unhappiness, loneliness, maybe depression is too big of a word. Um, but there's all kinds of good scientific studies that show that back pain goes along, you know, with not doing so well mentally. Historically, back pain was a red flag because kids often have back pain unless there's something else going on. But now that we have a reason for a lot of these kids having back pain, what are you recommending? Yes, yeah, so Sarah, you point out something very interesting. When we went through medical school and medical training, we were taught that kids don't have back pain, but if they do, something's wrong. You have to get an MRI and admit them to the hospital and look for cancer because otherwise kids just don't normally have back pain. And that isn't true anymore. More and more studies are showing that as kids approach age 15, they're starting to have back pain at almost the same rates as adults. And then I think if you put the kids in front of a computer screen all day and exercise less, I think that we may find in retrospect that during COVID, uh, kids and teenagers' back pain rates are going to be very similar to traditional adult back pain rates. And just to put this in perspective, before COVID, back pain was the number two reason why adults miss work. Uh, you generally think of 40% of adults having chronic back pain, and another 40% of adults have 
back pain sometimes. And I think uh, most people, if they're honest with themselves, you've all experienced back pain. It you know, takes away some fun stuff that you want to do. Maybe it means you don't go to the gym some days, you don't play golf some days, or you don't go to work. Back pain can be a really debilitating thing. And what we're seeing more and more now is it's not just an adult disease. It's becoming a very common complaint in teenagers and even younger kids. So and what we don't want to do is make every parent feel that as soon as your kid has back pain, you have to run to the doctor. That's going to be overkill. Because the truth is, when you go to the doctor, there could be some studies that have radiation or other problems. And seeking medical care you know, at every moment of back pain is probably not in the kid's best interest. So you know, one question is, when do you seek formal medical care for back pain? So one easy one is if back pain wakes a kid up at night, absolutely see the doctor. Another one, particularly with young kids, if kids say that their backs hurt and they don't want to play or they don't want to do their favorite activity, that is a sign that something's real. Right. So if now, they don't want to do their homework, it might not be as concerning. <laughs> <laughs> so back pain sometimes is used as secondary game. You know, people won't, don't want to do gym class because their back hurts or other issues like that. Absolutely. Um, you know, and of course, if there's kind of weakness or if they're walking funny or if it seems to be getting worse over time, uh, that's when we have to take it seriously. But if it comes and goes and, you know, maybe hurts 15 minutes a day or maybe hurts two or three days a week and is kind of steady state, generally don't worry about it too much. You know, that's, that's coming a little bit par for the course. Now, for the kids who are having the back pain that maybe we don't need to rush for MRI, but it's still there and it's popping up in younger kids there are one thing you could say that you think is the, contributing the most to this epidemic that we can change in our kids' behavior and maybe even in adults' lifestyle and as well? I'd say the number one thing is exercise. Exercise, 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 get up and move. And I don't think it matters what kids do as long as they do something. I say just you know, make a commitment to do it with friends or family, go to the gym, join a team, do something. As long as you're doing something, you know, maybe three to six times a week, that's going to be the best thing for you. It doesn't really matter what. And there's interesting concepts that you could do too much. Um, and we mm -hmm. know, you know, as we watch World Cup soccer, if we watch the Olympics, that the professional athletes aren't allowed to play every day all year round. You know, they're forced even in the World Series to take a few days of rest. Now, what's interesting is we protect our professional athletes, but not our best 10-year-olds. Our best 10-year-olds are sent away for a weekend and told to play 12 games over three days, and then we act surprised when they get injured. So uh, there's a happy medium in between. I'd say a good rule of thumb uh, to help prevent these overuse injuries, including back pain, is make sure that your kids take off at least one day a week from any type of formal athletic training. And if you can, one month a year. That sounds pretty big, but I think that otherwise kids start to not only physically burn out, but mentally burn out. One of the other things I was going to ask about, um, which I'm seeing personally with my kids, and I have you know, two school-age kids, and with my patients, is that the overuse injuries seem to be happening sooner because the kids have are deconditioned. Yes. Um, and I'm actually getting calls about something that we also don't see very often in pediatrics, things like cramps, strained muscles, 
um, in six and seven year olds who are at soccer camp for three days and then yes. are limping or my own son, you know, restarted baseball and went from zero to a hundred Yes, and woke up with a leg cramp, but you know, he hadn't experienced that before. And so what advice do you give as people re-enter activities? And I think that re-entry after COVID is how we have to look at this, you know, mm-hmm. on many levels, infectious disease, social, mental, and talking physically right now, uh, most people were not exercising enough during COVID. Now, that said, it's been said during COVID, people can become drunk, hunk, or chunk. Right. Right. I heard that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so some people may have exercised too much, but a great number of the people, they really just stopped exercising. There wasn't enough mm-hmm. to do. You know, everybody was hiking around golf courses or doing those few exercises mm-hmm. where you could go outside. Finding with the school age kids and my kids who are naturally very active, they had so many outlets in sports recess to just naturally be active. But at home, they weren't pushing themselves. They didn't have their friendly competition right. and movement that they had in their usual life. Yes, I think it is important to, as the kids re-enter, to not make it seem like physical activity is a job or a chore, but something that they get to do. They get to play with their friends. And I would really encourage the parents to support whatever the kids find fun. You know, for one kid, it may be dance. For another, it may be baseball. For someone else, it may be yoga. Basically, whatever they're doing that they're having fun with, that's what's going to help keep them physically fit, mentally happy. And that's one of the real ways to stave off back pain and other aches and pains. And uh, to get back to your question, though, you know, how do we avoid the kids going from zero to 100 all at once? Um, If you know the kids are going to be going to a sports camp or a showcase weekend, you know, you have to really start training for that about six weeks ahead of time. And I think the six weeks is a good number to have in mind from going to zero up to full activity. And maybe it starts off at, you know, say if you're going to be running every other day, run a mile, then every other day, run three miles and just slowly boost it up in a logical fashion. And we should all expect that at some point, the kids will start to have some aches and pains. And if it lasts more than a day or two, that's the sign to back off on that activity. And would this be the same during, say, you have one sport and the season is in the spring, that thinking six weeks before that season starts you need to start sort of getting in shape. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the tough thing is what do you do with the multi-sport athletes? And I remember when I was in college, I'd be, you know, playing NCAA intercollegiate soccer, thinking I was in great shape. But then the first day of track practice, I felt I was in horrible shape and vice versa. So being in shape is very sport specific. Um, now, ideally, the kids should have a little bit of time off in between the sports, uh, both mentally and physically, but they should expect to almost be training anew for the next sport. It's tough these days because the best 10-year-olds are led to believe if you miss one season, your career is over. Um, but it's maybe best if they're not playing for too many teams all at once. And the classic example is the baseball pitchers. You know, the risk of hurting your elbow is directly proportional to the number of pitches that they pitch in a week. Um, So at that point, give the little league parents a little clicker, let them click every pitch that they do. And if they have coaches in different leagues, it all adds up. Yes. 
we did a study at Harvard Westlake, which is a uh, it's a private high school. I think it's the largest private school in the contiguous 48 states. And they are crazy good athletics. You know, they have national champions in baseball and water polo and the athletics is very serious. And we did a study there. And I thought that the overuse injuries was going to be proportional to the number of teams, to the amount of weightlifting, to the number of private coaches. But the only thing that predicted injury was the number of hours of sleep. Oh, wow. We found out kids who slept less than eight hours a night had 70% more injuries. Like, that's a crazy number. This was in the six o'clock news all over the country. It was in Men's Health Journal. You know, it's quoted in uh, best selling books right now. And the reason we don't hear about this so much is nobody makes money off of sleep, nobody's promoting it. But it's one of the single best things you can do to help prevent your children from being injured. And then one way to sell it to the kids is, you know, not based on injuries, because all kids think that they're never going to get injured. They're invincible, right? <laughs> but they've done studies at uh, Stanford, for instance, with the basketball team. They found out that the players who slept more made more free throws. And at one point, they actually like almost locked the people in the room to force them to get eight hours of sleep. And when they did that, the free throw percentages went up. And there's other similar studies in you know, running and reaction time. So sleeping is one of the things you can do to excel in your athletic activities. That's great. That's a really great reminder, an easy thing for kids to do. One thing that I find comes up a lot is when do you need to run to the emergency room with an orthopedic injury? I think there used to be the thought that if you have an injury, you go to the ER. Yeah, that's... That's a good question. Going to the emergency room these days, you know, isn't free. You know, it could expose you to infectious diseases. It could mean sitting there for 12 hours. It could cost a lot of money. Um, so yeah, you don't want to run to the emergency room all the time and subject your children to that. Um, I'd say, a, you know, a phone call to a trusted pediatrician or family practitioner, you know, may help you make the decision. Um, but in general, if it's something like an ankle sprain, of course, that can wait. If you look at your arm and it's bent 30 degrees and the bone's broken, that can't wait. You know, and what's in between? I'd say one sign that you should go to the emergency room is that the pain is out of control. And, you know, when something, when you hurt yourself immediately, pain could be wild, you could be shaking, it could look awful. But if the pain really starts going away in half an hour and it's not too swollen, you could probably wait till morning with your trusted family physician or pediatrician. If there is an excessive amount of swelling and if the pain seems really out of proportion and someone can't walk on it or they really can't hold something with the hand, that might be a time you want to go to the emergency room and get an x-ray. Yeah, my patients can get a hold of me and I find the question is always, what if it's broken? And so I do use the, it might be, but if it's not, like you said, excessively swollen or deformed. And even that could be immobilized and could wait to see an orthopedist in clinic the next day. Precisely. Yeah, one thing we should say, though, is if you're worried that something might be broken, that body part should be elevated while the kid sleeps. Um, and sometimes it means just putting a whole bunch of pillows around a patient's hand or a wrist, try to keep that wrist higher than the heart, because decreasing swelling really decreases pain. And the other thing, of course, is ice or a bag of frozen peas. You could put it on for 15 minutes out of every hour to help decrease pain and swelling. Yes, 
that's, that is really, really helpful reminder. So now that the kids are back to school, they're back to carrying their stuff around with them. I see at my kids' school, all sorts of backpacks, the roller backpacks. I see little kindergartners with backpacks as big as they are. Is there any specifics or any metric of how you know if it's the right backpack or what's the best backpack? Yeah, so I'd say, you know, the best backpack might be the ones that the kids find the most comfortable. You know, you can, of course, get very expensive backpacks to go mountain climbing. You could carry lots and lots of weight, but that's overkill. Um, However, the truth is that a lot of times, especially in middle school and high school now, there's a lot of weight in these backpacks. And I almost find it more pertinent wondering how much weight is the right amount of weight or what's the limit. And while some websites and well-meaning organizations like to say it could be 10 pounds or 20 pounds, uh, we did a study on thousands of kids at Los Angeles Unified School District and we weighed the kids and we weighed the backpacks and we asked about back pain and it was a direct relationship. So when parents say, how much weight could they carry? And it's like, yeah, what do you want the risk of back pain to be? Um, so I'd really leave it up to each kid and each family. Some kids carry heavy backpacks and it's just fine. And other kids carry not so heavy backpacks and it makes their back hurt. And that's probably time to lighten the load. I think it's reasonable to even write a letter. Maybe some kids need a second set of books at school if they can have it. And one of the other things our study showed is if kids have lockers at school, they have less back pain. Because then theoretically, you could unload your backpack during the day. Wow. Do you think the roller backpacks, does that mitigate that? So if you were turning around and pulling something behind you in this twisting motion, I'm not at all convinced that that's better than simply carrying a backpack. And it might be social suicide. Um, So I would never make a kid do that wheelie backpack. What's funny is when the mothers ask for that and you could see the teenagers looking at me going, no, 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 don't make me do that. Um, So I think we have to leave it up to the kids a little bit. Okay. But less weight sounds like that's an advocating for that. Yes. Now, the other thing we know, though, is that carrying a backpack doesn't cause permanent harm. It doesn't make your spine bend over. It doesn't give you permanent back pain. Because if that was the case, we'd have hundreds of thousands of ex-Boy Scouts and Army people with back problems. And it doesn't seem in any way to be correlated to long-term back problems. One other thing, we mentioned posture before, and I wanted to ask, um, this is something as I see a lot in kids going through growth spurts. Um, A lot of kids have gone through their growth spurt during COVID. So they're they're re-emerging in a new body, and they've maybe been over screens and not out in public. And now they're coming out maybe four inches taller than they were before. Maybe they have breasts, maybe they're just different, look different. And I see this hunched over posture, looking down at phones. And the parents often will bring it up to me and ask me about the kid's posture. I'm wondering what you recommend to help them so that that posture doesn't become their permanent posture. Yes, Sarah. So you have just identified the number one complaint I get from parents in my office hours is that their children have poor posture. Now, so how do we deal with it? One of my favorite studies that we've done in the last few years is we did human trials of kids with poor posture where we took x-rays and we proved that they had poor posture in their spine. They were leaning forwards too much. We had them do 
and exercise every day for just 60 seconds. And six months later, by x-ray, we proved they were more than 10 degrees standing up straighter. And the simple x-ray was one of those foam rollers. You know, you can get it online probably for 10 bucks. And if all they do is lay down over a foam roller and hyperextend their spine in the opposite direction for just 60 seconds a day, they will on average stand up straighter. So imagine you're laying down on a yoga mat, you will put the foam roller across the yoga mat just at the level of your shoulder blades or a little bit below. And as you lay backwards, you try to have your head touch the yoga mat and your butt touch the yoga mat. So in this way, your spine is bending backwards. It's also called hyperextending. And if you could just allow yourself into that position, let all your muscles loose, be that way for 60 seconds, you will feel it for hours afterwards. You'll find yourself starting to want to stand up straighter. And I believe in this so much. I do it every morning and my son does it every morning. And just for 60 seconds, that's it. That's all that's needed. We've actually you know, done a scientific experiment with it and proven that if you do it 60 seconds a day, it can change your posture. A couple of weeks ago, Columbia University uh, hosted a virtual session on back pain in kids. It was interesting listening to the physical therapists. Traditionally, the physical therapists say, you know, sit up straight, have your feet on the floor, have your back against the chair, have your head over your spine. But we all know in real life, you don't sit up perfectly straight forever and you don't stand up perfectly straight. And if you do try to sit or stand perfectly straight, your back gets sore. And it's really okay to slouch. Most of the time when I'm sitting in a chair at a computer, I'm slouching. That's not a bad thing. The important thing is that you don't sit in one place for four hours. You know, get up every 20 minutes, move around, do some stretching. But slouching is okay. None of us are robots. None of us sit or stand in a perfect position all the time. It was fascinating to observe my kids more as they were attending homeschool this year or virtual school. And I have two very active kids and I was initially really focused on that, the table height, the chair height, the, the angles. And as the days and then weeks and then months went on, I would look in there and my nine-year-old would be upside down over the couch sometimes, listening yes. to class and engaged. And I thought, you know, this is probably better for him and posture-wise, position, you know, everything-wise to be moving yes. than to just be sitting in one place. So we sort of made a deal that if you're participating and you're keeping up with school, you can move positions throughout the day and get up and down and all around. My fear was when he went back to the classroom. <laughs> no, he can't be upside down anymore. Yeah, that's too bad. Maybe they should be able to be. I know, I know. That's a whole other topic. But I do think you know movement in the schools is an important one that I hope we make progress on. And the other question I get and comment that I hear from parents a lot is related to posture is this tech neck that kids are looking over their phones and looking down so often that they're actually sort of walking in a position with their heads looking down toward the ground and asking me, are they going to be like this permanently? Is this their new posture? Do we, what do we need to do about this? So I, I don't mean to scare everybody, but let me give you an extreme example. Uh, I'm a spine surgeon and many of our surgeries take four hours and you're literally, your head is down for four hours without moving. 
And for spine surgeons that do the big cases, the risk of having neck pain and disc problems is 100 times that of the average person. So yes, if you were spending inordinate amount of time with your neck down in one position, it probably could cause long-term problems. But I think that most of the time, kids are smart enough to get up and move around and they just automatically do it. You know, I think at some level, we have to have, you know, faith that kids will put their bodies in okay positions. And if something's hurting or not feeling right, they'll change. And I don't think that we need to always be telling them exactly what position to put their bodies in. You know, there's many more important things that we should be talking to them about, like you don't drink and drive. If you're looking down too much, they'll probably self-regulate that. Yeah. And I worry probably more about what's on the screen. (laughs) Yes, you're right. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining us. I know you're busy in the operating room and running the program now over at Cedars. We're glad to have you closer to us now um, professionally, and I'm sure I'll see you around the neighborhood as well, hopefully this summer. Oh, Sarah, I always love talking to you. I look forward to seeing you at the tennis club now that it's open. Thank you for listening to Inside Medicine and our guest, Dr. David Skaggs. In just a few weeks, we will be interviewing my friend and New York Times bestselling author, Emily Oster. She is an economist at Brown University who has independently spearheaded data collection on COVID cases in K-12 schools nationwide. We will have an engaging conversation about the challenges of the Delta variant and how to approach schools, playdates, and events. We hope to see you then.